This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 78. Number 78. We're getting so close to 100, and this one is a much-anticipated episode. It's one that I've been, uh, we've been talking about for a long time. Um, but let, before we get into the uh, U.S. Apple, yes. let's, uh, let's tie up some loose ends from past episodes. Um, got lots of positive feedback uh, on our suggestions, thoughts on the WPO, professional powerlifting in general, mm-hmm. even from some of those whom... You know, may have some influence on it. Yeah, I mean, Dan Dan Bell, very succinct. No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, <think, laughs> I think he was answering the question that was posed in the actual cover. Uh, I, I believe so, and it was just great. It's very yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, it, yeah, it was like the Powerlifting USA uh, cover said, like pro powerlifting. You know, will it take off? And Dan Bell, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I guess as someone who's been there and doesn't think it will, uh, which I love. Um, no, got a lot of great feedback. A lot of just great feedback overall on the podcast. You know, doing this now for two and a half years. A uh, lot of episodes out there. I've heard a lot of people going back, listening to our episodes about gear and equipment 101, definitely the Q&As, um, the interviews with Anthony and um, and Laura always they'll play very, very well. And so uh, just overall, a lot of great feedback. And when we're out of the women's program, which we'll talk about here shortly, uh, you know, a lot of those that we've interviewed were, were there either competing or, or a part of it. And so uh, it was just great to kind of chat with them and, and catch up. And uh, again, they've all kind of become listeners since they've been on the show, and so uh, if they weren't already, and so it's been kind of cool to listen to them, uh, you know, say nice things about us. Yeah. Um, I had a discussion at uh, Easter dinner yesterday and had a family member of a family member, so mm-hmm. not a family member of mine, but okay. an in-law from a family member who's, you know, kind of was asking me about the whole trans athletes in sport uh, mm-hmm. question because that's been topical in the news, and we yep. haven't really talked about it because we've really already had an episode on it, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I was able to at least talk intelligently about it, and uh, I think if you want to go back and listen to our episode on that, I think we did as as in depth of a look into that as 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 anybody. Yep. You know, looking into the the exactactitudes of what the IOC ruled and yeah. kind of looking at it from not a, a left or right, you know, super politically charged standpoint, but what's what's reasonable when it comes to that. Yeah, um, re- reasonable. I, th- I think as objective as we could be. I mean, I think, yeah. we, you know, we, we certainly have our opinions on it, but I think we can. Well, and, and that's kind of what I, I said to this this individual was, hey, you know, the question is, and, and the question usually is when it's a a, a male to female transitioning. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, usually female to male is not as big of a, a deal. Um, but, you know, your, your male to female transitioning, uh, the question I really have and that we talked about in the episode is like, what defines when you've transitioned, mm-hmm. and that is seems very nebulous, and it's it's. I, mean, I don't know. It seems like a pretty simple answer. Can you define what a female is? <laughs> uh, some <laughs> some <laughs> might have trouble with that, and that, I think that goes to the crux of the same issue. Like, well, at least those people aren't in like really like big positions of power or anything. Then you should be fine. Let's move on, Mr. Bain. <laughs> what other than that, Mr. Bain? What's going on? Uh, well, just got back. Uh, I just got back about a week or so ago, as of this recording. Uh, from a, a pretty lengthy trip, I was literally in all four time zones uh, within a five-day period. Uh, started in Chicago, flew to San Diego, San Diego. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> uh, 
Well, you know what? Depending on how many drinks you get me over the next uh, few weeks, you never know what you'll hear about uh, from that uh, that conference. Uh, so the TIA conference, uh, Transportation Intermediaries Association, uh, kind of one of the big three events around my industry. There's that one, Food Shippers, and then what they call F3 uh, in November. And so uh, really this is a, a important conference for us as an industry, but also it's kind of legendary for the partying that goes on, and it did not fucking disappoint. F3 stands for uh, Furi- uh, Furiously future- yeah. Fast Freight? Uh, it's not what we have anymore. Uh, no, it's a Future Freight uh, something. Um, it's held by a company called Freight Waves. They're based in Chattanooga, and this this is uh, – in November will be in uh, in Chattanooga. Actually, the week of uh, WPC Worlds and WPO Finals, so should be exciting for me to have to do this again. Uh, okay. If, yeah. So good times. But then uh, move on to the women's <clears throat> program, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, there is very few environments in sports like the women's program. It is very unique in in just everything about that atmosphere. The athletes themselves, those that are with them, the crowd, the venue. The history that is, uh, you know, Laura Phelps and, uh, you know, Team Queen B Power. Uh, obviously, there is a tie to Westside. This year was important with, you know, Louis having just passed. And I mean, it really was just, it always is an incredible weekend, but this one just seemed like even a little extra special somehow. I think that's one of the things that I really have to commend Laura on is she goes above and beyond. She does everything she can to make sure that as amazing as these weekends are, she somehow makes it better every year. And in the years I've been you know, around it and, and there, uh, just unbelievable. I, I had you know the opportunity to run the platform there and, and very, very honored for that, that uh, the team would have me. And it was just a, it was a great time. And I got to see our teammates do very, very well uh, and got to see some, uh, some historical lifts. So, Stone, what's going on with you? You know, I mean, I would reiterate everything you just said as far as the women's program go um this is the first time i had the chance to coach at the women's program i've been there for i don't know how many years now basically ever since laura switched it over to be an apf sanctioned i've been there helping judge um but this year i had the opportunity to coach my wife jackie uh our teammates jen gimmel and stacy hawkins all three of whom had really good meets absolutely they all really had a great time i mean my wife jackie hit an all-time squat pr of 465 which is more than she'd even hit at a body weight that was probably about 40 pounds heavier. That's fantastic. Um, and weighed in at her li- probably about her lightest body weight she's ever been at. In fact, it was to the point where I told her, you're not allowed to lose any more weight. You need to just, like, eat, eat up. Eat what you want. Eat, yeah, eat up for the next two weeks so your gear is not too you need me coming down? Do you need me coming down the gym a little more? So she- <laughs> Don't need to drop two weight classes now. Yeah. No, we got the extra um, ones. Jen Gimmel had a big 600-pound squat, something Huge, she's been shooting for for a really long time. Uh, she also got her invite to the WPO Super Finals in mm-hmm. November, just she, recently. She did. Um, and our teammate Stacy, fighting a little bit of an illness, but had a really nice bench PR, 375. All of her benches were I mean, just, probably had way more in her, but we I, wanted to get you know one nice, solid PR. Hoff remarked that he, he was astounded at how fast her benches moved. Yeah, I mean, they were fast. They, like... Oof, man, no, that, all three, phenomenal. Very nice job. Yeah, so great job by them. Um, in addition, my wife Jackie, as of this recording, probably about the time that we're recording this, mm-hmm. is accepting a new job at East Aurora High School. Awesome. Congratulations, as the, uh, math and business division lead. Mm-hmm. She has been uh, looking to, to move a little bit more out where the gym is and move into a position that really fits her, her skill set best. Mm-hmm. And so actually right now she's probably at the school board meeting um, hopefully accepting that job. Awesome. So, Congratulations, Jackie. We're uh, excited hopefully for it's, it's okay to announce that uh, 
since I believe it'll be official as of tonight. We were kind of keeping it quiet until it was at the school board meeting, but nice. by the time we released this episode. Um, other than that, Mr. Bain, uh, how about Brandon? What's going on with Brandon? You know what? Let's, uh, let's shake hands with the air. <laughs> I just... I, it, I, do, it, I don't. I if you don't know, there's a vi- if you have. There's multiple. There's multiple. Okay. okay, hold on, hold on. And especially if you're not somebody that follows U.S. politics, or if you're not from the U.S. And I know we have some some international lifters. There's a viral clip clip going around right now um, of Joe Biden, like after a speech, turning to shake hands with the air. And there's it, there's one when he's outside the White House. There's one where he's in front of an American flag. There's other ones from earlier. And and here's the thing. Like I I'm no longer really like just poking at like his policies are unsound. I mean, or, you know, I just don't like his politics or, I mean, I do, I do question whether this is kind of like elderly abuse because this man is not fit to be in office. And it sometimes feels like, uh, we just leave him in because no one wants to deal with what would happen if he's out. Call, I call it like I see it. I got nothing else to say about yeah, that. Yeah, that's all I got <laughs> to say about that. Also, uh, there was one I forgot about. Uh, you know, we had a full moon last night. We're recording the day after Easter. You know what that means, right? Uh, Teen Wolf will come out. Michael J. Fox will be Werewolf playing basketball. Jesus. Uh, Michael J. Fox will. Uh, Werewolf Jesus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of the moon. Yes. Um, you know, my let's go, Brandon. I probably talked about this before, but hey, it's been two years. So fuck it. Some of the topics have to come back around again. Um, lunar, why are we still following lunar calendars? Like, I, I, you know, I realize that, and, and, and specifically in regards to Easter, um, Easter re, re, is based on, I don't know how it's figured out, but Dude, I know it is like fucking random. Well, it's based, it's based on a lunar calendar. I believe it's 40 days plus Sundays. Cause it's not actually 40 days. Well, no, it's the first like full or first Sunday after the full moon, after the, uh, Solstice or the spring solstice, or whatever. Like it's, I mean, it's it's based around Passover because Passover was a Jewish holiday, which is based on a lunar calendar, as I understand it. Um, so it's just here's the thing: I don't believe that Jesus Christ was born on December 25th. He was not. I believe that we, that we as in the Christian faith, probably picked that day to copy over some other pagan holiday because mm-hmm. we're into that. Hey, I mean that's a good way to get adherence to your uh, your religion is to just copy over an, an old holiday. Exactly. So could we just like do the Thanksgiving thing and like pick like hey we're gonna do th- we're gonna do Easter the fourth Sunday in March or the first yeah. Sunday in April? I- I'm flexible. You know whatever the whatever yeah. the whatever the Pope la- last Sunday in March or last sure Sunday in- what yeah let's just pick a Sunday and I think even if we're talking about just a religious standpoint you'd get better adherence to the holiday because people would know when it's going to be. So I, I'm, I'm down on the rotating holidays. And if I was Muslim, man, I would really be against lunar calendars because it seems like Ramadan, it goes from like the dead of winter to like the dead of summer. And if you're fasting dusk till dawn, like you, you don't want that happening. No, I don't want that evil on me. You don't want that happening in like a long summer. Now, the problem is summer here, winter elsewhere. So you might as well pick somewhere in the middle where it's everybody's equally suffering. Yes. Anyways, let's move on to our uh, hot topic of the day. <laughs> I, I actually created my own hot topic. Yes, you did, sir. 
Um, if you don't know, I do. I'm not the I'm not the creator of all the content. In fact, mostly it's reposting. But I am the curator of mm-hmm. the APF Instagram account. You are the APF. Simply because nobody else on the board probably even knows how to use Instagram. <laughs> I mean, Amy Jackson does have access to the account. I just don't know that she goes on it very often. Don't think so. Um, <clears throat> so I created a post uh, based on something we saw at the Pro-Am um, where there was cuts in singlets so lifters could take their bench shirts mm-hmm. and pull them down, yep. which I have always been told, as long as I've been around, 20-plus years, specifically is not legal. In fact, at the first WPO that we helped Wayne pull him with, he actually had extra Enzer singlets Mm -hmm. that Enzer had sent him that he gave to lifters if they had a hole in their singlet because Mm -hmm. he didn't want the whole thing of like, hey, duct tape it, which is what we did the Pro-Am, or hey, there's nothing I can do about it. If somebody had a cut singlet, he was just going to be like, take this Enzer one. It'll look better on TV, live stream. Yep. Here's the thing. I, I'm not the type of person that's going to die on the hill of there shouldn't be holes in singlets. I think it looks tacky. It's the same premise as tucking and tying your laces on the Inzer Leviathan Ultra Pro. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily affect the performance, and I get it. It's geared powerlifting, but to me, you should at least look more presentable. Not only that, but like if you have a giant amount of bench shirts sticking out, at a certain point... It, the reason why do we wear a singlet, especially on the bench, it's so you can see the vantage points on the body to judge the lifter. Yep. If you got a big old bench shirt hanging out, like it's plausible that that could inhibit the judge's ability to see the vantage points on the body that they want to see. And see, that's why we use the band shirts because those just come straight down; they're not going to come out. I think they people also pull those <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah, I, to me, it's it's one of those. Uh, to your point, I, I'm not going to die on this hill. Like I don't like it. It doesn't look great. I would prefer, I mean, we're going to look goofy anyway on the platform. I prefer to look a little less goofy and just having ripped up clothes. I'd prefer not to. Like, I'd look, I want to look somewhat presentable on me day. But it, ultimately, if it helps my performance, I kind of don't care. Yeah. If if the majority of people in the APF and the WPC wanted to change the rule, I at the end of the day, I really wouldn't care that much. I didn't make the rule. The interpretation of the rule was said to me by Wayne Pullum. Mm-hmm. Um, of the uh, Wimpole in Congress? Uh, 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 the APF vice president and technical chairman who would, you know, make rulings on – and this is an interpretation of the rulebook. And mm-hmm. I posted on the APF Instagram a couple excerpts from the rulebook to support that, and people were arguing about the minutiae of it. It's mm-hmm. like, listen, like, there's nothing in the rulebook specifically that says your singlet can't have a hole with a bencher sticking out. We're interpreting that based on the rulebook. And one of the reasons why I like the APF WPC rulebook is that it doesn't lay every specific individual minutia out. It's a basic rulebook that's been the same for 30 plus years. And from there, we just make interpretations based on the spirit of what the rulebook is trying to say. So it's like the Constitution. It's designed to have a very long life. (laughs) Yep. You got it. Perfect. Uh, let's move on, Mr. Bain, to our Palooza throwback. Throwback, throwback, throwback. We're basically fast-forwarding a year from last week. Yep. Um, so we're going to be in June 1994. Nice. What were you doing in June 1994, Mr. Uh, Bain? Well, I would have been saying goodbye to all my friends in Virginia, and we are getting ready to move to Iowa in uh, August of that year. I how, think. how old have you been, 12? I would have been 12, yes, sir. Okay. Yep. And I believe we actually, it was either late May or it might have been early June, when we got the uh, the change that it was going to be, you're not moving to Colorado Springs, you're moving to Iowa. Right. So it, it was very fast that we so got. So it's like May, you're thinking we're moving to Colorado, and then all of a sudden, it's boom. You're Dude, moving we, to Iowa, which is like so woolly different. Dude, so we, I don't know if I told the story on the podcast. Dad had an offer on a house. 
I think you did tell that. I think I did. Yeah. So we had an offer on a house the whole night. And like his work called him like, yeah, I hope you don't have an offer on a house. Like I fucking do actually. And was he able to get out of it? Obviously. He basically transferred it to uh, who was going to be his boss. Uh, her name was Rose. Very nice lady. Uh, and she got it for a fucking steal because he, he had negotiated a great deal on it. Hmm. And she still is there today. And, you know, I'm like, be nice. You know, get access to it or something like Airbnb or some shit. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, it was, it was so different. And like, God, I, I still remember the difference in flying into the airport in Denver and the difference in flying to the Eastern Iowa Regional Airport. Holy shit. Like, it's just, it, you can't even compare the two. That said, I did enjoy my time in Iowa. Glad I don't live there anymore. Uh, Stone, <laughs> what, were, what were you doing? I don't remember too much. I think we've talked about this. I would have been 11. Um, but it was dark time for the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s. It was. Jordan was suspended. <laughs> Michael Jordan was playing baseball during this time. During his uh, suspension, yes. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you that don't know the story, <laughs> Mr. Bain believes that Michael Jordan was suspended. That's what happened. And everybody else believes Michael Jordan retired. Yeah. So, uh-huh. Conspiracy theories. Listen, did, did, I, I, rock, it, I rock a tinfoil hat like nobody's. Did Alex system. Jones uh, tell you this theory? Let's move on to what was going on in the world in June 1994. Uh, in the news, June 13th, Chicago Cubs second baseman Ryan Sandberg retires, apparently forfeits $15.7 million of his contract, but then I was reading on Wikipedia, then came back to play in the 1996 and 1997 seasons. Hmm. So he only retired for a year and a half. So he was no longer tired. Yeah, he, it was a Michael Jordan. He got yeah. he, he around the same time. Got, got suspended. Got oh, so he got suspended. <laughs> Ryan Sandberg would never get suspended. Yeah. Uh, June 15th, The Lion King opened in theaters, a classic Disney movie. Mm-hmm. June, and this is, a, this is a pretty, you know. Dude, June 17th, there's a lot of shit that went yeah. on that year. June 17th. Well, on that day. Yeah, I know there was more that went on than just this because there's a whole documentary. But mm-hmm. June 17th specifically, O.J. Simpson was chased by the L.A. police in a white Ford Bronco. Again, if you're not from the U.S., I got OJ. If you're if you're not from the U.S. or if you weren't around at that point, uh, OJ Simpson, who famous running back for the Buffalo Bills, correct? Buffalo Bills and for USC, the USC Trojans, Heisman Trophy winner. uh, Then did some movies, was doing some TV, was doing some broadcasting. He he was his eras like Shaq and Peyton Manning. I mean, yeah, I mean, he transitioned. He he was a multimedia, you know, Maven really, and was accused and acquitted of. Uh, a double murder of his wife and his wife's friend. Lo- friend, they called him. I- I'm guessing yeah. lover, but it doesn't really matter. Um, at this point, he was going to be charged, and he ran from the police. Yep. And it was broadcast on national TV literally everywhere. I, this, this, was, this was the first time, not that I too deep down the rabbit hole, the O.J. Simpson trial and like everything that surrounded the murders of Nicole Brown Kimmon and, and Ron Goldman it was like it had the world glued to the TV, like internet. I mean, huge court TV went went crazy. But I just remember thinking this, like, this is so odd. Like, why do why do we fucking care? Only because like this is a guy who like we see him regularly. We see him on you know the the Hertz commercials. We see him on the uh, the Isotoner commercials, which very famous. Uh, if the gloves don't fit, you must quit. You see him in movies. You saw him. You saw this guy as uh, the pinnacle of athletic prowess, and it's like, wow, this is why we care. But this guy really did nothing for us as a society other than give great TV ratings and cause riots. Mm-hmm. June thirtieth, the U.S. Ice Skating Federation bans Tanya Harding for life. <laughs> and again, if you don't know the story, Tanya, Tanya. Tanya Harding um, allegedly hired her boyfriend to take out the knee of Nancy Kerrigan. 
Nancy Kerrigan was they were both Olympic hopefuls, but Nancy Kerrigan was likely, you know, uh, possible medalist. Yeah, possible medalist in uh, the Olympics, both uh, figure skaters. Why? So, Why? Yeah, famous clip. Yes. Um, yes. On the cover of this Paula from USA, uh, we had Paula Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Um, with a 325 bench at 148. Nice. Um, she had limited results on open powerlifting. Her best bench on there was a 403-pound bench in 2000 at APF Seniors on a fourth attempt, which meant it, uh, meant it must have been a, uh, a world, a, record, a at world record at that time. Yep. She seemingly competed sparingly between 1990 and 2000, although this particular bench from 94 was not in the results for whatever reason. Um, <clears throat> this 325 bench was at the dash world record breakers as opposed to the uh, Budweiser world record breakers in Hawaii. Yep. It was an all-time record at the time. Um, seemed like it was a down year for the Hawaii record breakers. Like, not a lot of good lifters. There was, like, a novice division, a, a master's division. Um, there was a couple other years that was listed in open powerlifting as DASH world record breakers. I would like to know what DASH was. Yeah. Um, it's all capitals, DASH. And I looked up DASH now, and it's, like, an appliance company. I'm not sure if that's the same company. My guess is probably not, but who knows. Dash. Um, Bill Nichols uh, was also on the cover, and he was the most outstanding lifter at NASA Natural Natural Nationals. That's a mouthful. Try to say that three times. And, and it, not only that, but NASA stands for Natural Athlete Strength Association. So this would have been the Natural Athlete Strength Association Natural Nationals. Say that what ten times f- fast. What the fuck? This was March seventeenth through the twentieth, nineteen ninety four, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Bill Nichols went 876-pound squat, a 485-pound bench, a 650 deadlift at 275. His best lifts were mostly in single ply in the 80s. He had a a 959 squat, a 556 bench, and a 771 deadlift. Um, Later in 2000 um, at the APF Master Nationals, which I attended, um, he did attempt a 1,003-pound squat unsuccessfully. Um, interestingly, uh, your friend and mine, mm-hmm. Rudy Rosales yes. of Team Power Products, wrote mm-hmm. an article on Bill Nichols, uh, you know, kind of like a profile piece. And mm-hmm. in that same area was an advertisement for the original Team Power Wraps, the TP5000, which uh, I guess Bill Nichols invented and obviously Rudy Rosales was a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the only. Uh, the only wraps that are similar, they're not exactly the same, but it could just be, you know, the change in the manufacturer would be the overkill wraps. Yes. Um, but after Bill Nichols sold them, I'm not sure in the story. We could ask Rudy. Um, at Ernie Franz sold the TP5000 knee wraps and mm-hmm. wrist wraps. Um, and when he went out of business, I know Rudy Rosales now sells the overkill wraps that are at least the closest facsimiles thereof. Solid wraps. Uh, Matt Dimmel of Westside fame died mm-hmm. April 9th, 1994. So just... You know, probably as of the, you know, uh, press time of this issue in uh, when, you know, at this time, if you're going to come out with a magazine in June, it's probably got to go to press at least in late April to get out there. More in May. likely, yeah, based on printing technology at that time. Yeah. The top 100 275s from April 94 to March, or excuse me, April 93 to March 94. Top of the list is Kurt Karowski with a 970 squat. Uh, S. Warman, 964, number two. Jay White, 925. Our buddy, Greg Lowe, 903. Greg below, <laughs> 903 squat. Bill Nichols, who we just talked about. That 876 squat is number five. 
So I would have been in the top five. Nice. Uh, another local guy, Craig Tokarski, 650-pound bench, number one. K. Clark, 600. R. Reed, 580. J. Byers, 576. And J. Naprakowski, 575 is number five. S. Warman uh, is top of the deadlift with 826. Greg Below, 800-pound deadlift from prison. Number two, <laughs> C. Pappy, 790. B. Stevenson, 755. Um, and the total, S. Warman, number one, 2270. Kirk Kurowski, number two, 2232. Greg Below, one of the ADFPA's, uh, you know, top lifters, mm-hmm. 2150. And T. Hartridge, 2105. B. Stevenson, 2,075. <laughs> um, and you'd have to – 2,000 total at this time would have gotten you in the top 15, um, which is interesting. I don't know that, that would even put you in the top at all in the current era. I don't even put you in the top 50. Yeah. So interesting there. Um, we also had the top 100 U.S. squatters of all time in the 220 class. Mm. Number one, unsurprisingly, is one Ed Cohn. Mm. Fred Hatfield, 881, who would do his best squatting at 242, um, squat 1,000. Steve Goggins with an 881 squat. And Greg Drigo with an 865. And rounding out the top five is Jay Black with also with 865. Uh, Jesse Callum, a guy we've talked about a few times, number nine with 843. Ernie Franz. Nice. Down at number, it looks like, 19. So in the top 20 with 826, um, and that was probably as a master's lifter even at that time, um, you know, pretty tight in there. I mean, because even number 100 was 761. Wow. So, you know, everybody above. Louis Simmons in there at number like, eh, we'll say 40 with 775. I mean, pretty good. Again, probably was a master's lifter at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting top 100 list there for all time. There was an article by Doug Daniels. He had the starting out column each month. This one was titled, Make Up Your Mind, Powerlifting or Bodybuilding Training. He basically says you can't do both as a beginner. Which, uh I guess I would agree with. Like, I would say as a beginner, you probably can do a little bit of both. I would say you can't optimize competing in both. No, absolutely not. Especially like... Not, not as a beginner. Uh, I would say in general... You could probably bodybuild and still powerlift marginally, but you definitely can't optimize powerlifting and bodybuild. Like, if you're a bodybuilder who occasionally does powerlifting, you're probably better off than a powerlifter who tries to do bodybuilding. Like, I would agree. The diets are just so vastly different. Um, training, not super, super different, but, I mean, just the dieting. Yeah. Um, there was the Bench Press Workout Part 2 Assistance Day. Part 1. Bye. From- Oh, bye, Louis Simmons. <laughs> Part one from the prior month, which I went back and read, was basically w- where Louis would lay out what would become the dynamic day. At that time, it seemed like it was basically the main bench day because this is titled the assistance day. Um, and he talks about using around 65% for eight to 10 sets of three reps at this time. And again, we're June 94, the West Side system would evolve, especially in the next you know, five, six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, quote, the assistance day, what would eventually become the max effort day. Max um, effort. He talks about finding an assistance exercise like pin presses to work up to a max single. Um, then talks about using very high rep dumbbell work, you know, doing uh, as many reps as possible type sets for 20 to 25. 
Um, weighted push-ups was also a favorite assistance exercise of him at this time. And Louie noted that at this time, they only used bench shirts at meets. They did not use them in training. <laughs> Interesting. Um, there was, right in that same area, there was a reverse hyper, a reverse hopper for sale <laughs> um, for $895, and there was a patent from June 9th, 1993. And let me look back here real quick, Mr. Bain. Uh, last week's notes, we were... I think I'm, God, we, were, we had a lot of notes last week. Oh, we were July 93. So about a year before, um, Louis did not mention the reverse hyper at all. So somewhere between. So, so he had not revealed it to the world yet. Somewhere between July 93 and June 94, um, he came up with the reverse hyper. And it makes sense. I mean, it yeah, talked. That was about when Larry Bird retired, and that's what was the impetus for him, like, bringing it to the public. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I was thinking that When's maybe... the time you watch West Everest the World? Well, I haven't watched as many times as Timor Bloomfield or Dave Bloom. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, a patent from June 9th, 1993. It's one of those things where, like, I wonder if there's enough meat on the bone to talk about the adventure of the reverse hyper. Maybe not. Um, I feel like it's up there with the monolith, like how it's changed, like, powerlifting, though. It could. I just don't know if there's as much story as there is with the monolith. Um, but maybe. Watch we'll dig. Uh, results from APF Junior Nationals, which were a April 16th, 17th, 1994 in Rosemont, Illinois. Mm -hmm. uh, I just noted some right, of the... Right down the street from me. Yeah, some of the lifters that uh, we would know. Doris Simmons, Louis Simmons' wife. 325-pound mm -hmm. squat, 148-pound bench, 330-pound deadlift at 105 pounds of body weight. Amy Wasberger. 363-pound <laughs> squat, 220-pound bench. 352-pound deadlift at 123-pound body weight. Chuck Valgapol. <laughs> uh, and this was Junior Nationals. If you're not familiar, we've talked about this before. But uh, it goes back to the old AAU and the, and the uh, weightlifting system. Senior Nationals was the top-level meet. And Junior Nationals, not the age group. It referred to, like, basically, like, the secondary nationals. Mm -hmm. Like, you'd hit the qualifying total, but you hadn't placed first at Senior Nationals. So it was... Second-tier national meet, only open-level lifters. Um, Chuck did an 826-pound squat, 534-pound bench, and a 782-pound deadlift at 242, winning a class of 9 to 10 lifters. Willie Wessels, um, who would later go on to form uh, what is now, I think, Strongman Corp., and mm -hmm. now he it runs uh, United States Strongman um, at this time. Squatted 810, benched 567, deadlifted 760 at 220, winning a class of nine lifters. Um, had a couple guest benchers, Kenny Patterson with a 551-pound bench at 242, and, and George Halbert with a 573-pound bench at 242. Local guy, uh, local guys, Mike Goldman, who, Goldie. Tra who transferred to 2XL, and uh, another local guy, Noel Lavario, also competed. Um, our pal Fred Clary yes, was, Fred. was second in the 308s. I was actually, was my, Mike Goldman's uh, doppelganger also competing? I, I, gosh. You know what's funny is that Mike Goldman said he's adopted, so we needed to like, do a DNA test. Yeah, I did a 23andMe. Uh, let's move on to our topic at hand Holy of the day. Holy shit, here we go. <sighs> Man, this, uh, this ranks up there with some of the top levels of research I have done on an episode. I mean... A lot of documentation. I read a lot of articles. I read a lot of... A lot of books, a lot of articles, a lot of, a lot of writing. <laughs> um, I watched uh, an hour and a half video twice. Ugh. Uh, Both? Yeah, I, I watched it once just to get the sense of it, and then I watched it again 
to take notes on it. Um, so let's give some context. And if you're not familiar, um, and, and especially in case somebody listens to this episode later on, mm-hmm. um, in November of 2021, the USAPL was removed, USA Powerlifting was removed as the U.S. affiliate of the IPF. And we're the recording International Powerlifting Federation. And we're, uh, we're recording this in April of 2022. So this is about eh, five months ago, relatively recent. Yep. Now, I also want to preface this with, as the rumblings around the USAPL possibly being suspended and or booted from the IPF started to come uh, in middle the middle to late part of last year, 2021, I presented a theory that this was actually something that was possibly 30 or 40 years in the making. So I'm not saying that all this research, everything here, proves that I was correct, but it absolutely does not prove that I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, and that individual is not talked about a lot in this particular, uh, but he was intricately involved. He did not absolutely. talk at the meeting, for instance. Absolutely. Or he, he talked very little, at least in the part that was recorded. So a reminder, and you can go back to episode 62 for more information. Mm-hmm. Um, the USAPL was originally founded, actually, Basically, the second powerlifting organization, like behind the AA, the original AAU, which would become the USPF, the second organization founded was the American Drug-Free Powerlifting Association. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it predated the AMPF, the American Masters Powerlifting Federation, which would become the APF by maybe a year or less. Mm-hmm. Very similar time frame. Um, they changed their name to become the USAPL to match with the naming that many Olympic uh, IOC, not I, IOC. Basically, the IOC certified and the IOC affiliated. Uh, the fed- USOC. U- USOC, yeah, USOC affiliated USOC. sport organizations like yes. USA Basketball, like USA, USA Baseball, Track and Field. USA, yes, exactly. So they changed their name to USAPL to fit that vernacular in the U.S. They became the U.S. affiliate around the same time frame in the fall of 1997. Mm-hmm. They took over from the original powerlifting organization in the U.S., the USPF, primarily do, at least purportedly, to drug testing or lack thereof from the, the USPF. The, the original, you can go back to our Alphabet Soup episode, the USPF was after the AAU kind of disbanded because yeah. the AAU did used to run everything. Yeah, I mean, it was the sports. AAU and the USPF came out of the AAU yes. essentially. Yeah. So the original wholly separate, you know, powerlifting organization is the United States Powerlifting Federation, which I think is still around, but very small. Mm-hmm. And they actually helped form the IPF. Which is just mind-boggling. So they helped form the IPF, and they were kicked out of the IPF. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it would be interesting. There's a couple issues, I think, of Powerlifting USA, which have kind of a timeline of the origin of powerlifting, which would be interesting to look into. Mm-hmm. But powerlifting was basically founded in the U.S. and England, and then spread throughout the world. As mm-hmm. I understand it, I would like to do more research, but... The original, basically the originator of powerlifting was kicked out of the IPF. Yeah, no problem. Um, dating back to November 2018, uh, I didn't get the, the details on this. It's just referenced a number of times. There was a cease and desist letter sent by the IPF to the USAPL in November of 2018. And this apparently had to do with the USAPL at that time using non-WADA labs. And if you're not familiar... WADA stands for World Anti-Doping Agency. It's basically the agency that controls drug testing through the Olympics and other sport organizations. 
Um, it definitely was not corrupted during the Russian Olympics in 2018. Certainly not. Yeah, there's definitely no corruption in any giant sport organizations like that are associated with the Olympics. No, not at all. Um, there apparently was an agreement in regards to drug testing back in 2019. Mm-hmm. So pre-pandemic, um, third-party testing, fully third-party par- third testing was agreed upon to be conducted at the Arnold Sports Festival, which the USAPL ran mm-hmm. their meets at, mm-hmm. and any USAPL national events. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those that aren't familiar, most of the time, small powerlifting organizations like the AAPF, uh, I don't, I, I believe most other organizations, drug tested US, uh, USPA, basically we do our own drug testing. You know, the officials do the drug testing. We don't actually perform the tests. We collect the samples or however they do their tests, and it's sent off to a lab. The USAPL has done it the same way. In fact, in the video we're going to reference later, Larry Maley talks about the history of drug testing with the USAPL. They started actually with uh, lie detectors. Mm-hmm. You know, they used they originally used because I don't think there was uh, really successful or really accurate urinalysis at that point. I no, don't, I, don't, I don't think it, it existed. It, it didn't exist in any way that was actually helpful, and so there was kind of no point. And he talked about even doing dr- uh, blood tests at one point. Blood and hair, yep. Um, so interesting, uh, but at that time, 20, 2019, there had been an agreement. Fast forward, January 1st, 2021, a a new revised world anti-doping rules. Mm -hmm. And the IPF claims, and it seemingly supported, that under the new rules, all member organizations, sport organizations of WADA-associated sports, that, quote, national federations will not be allowed to run their own national-level testing programs. Mm -hmm. The uh, IPF, uh, th- I'm not sure exactly when this was passed. I mean, we could probably do an entire other episode on WADA, um, which probably most people would find very boring, so we won't. Yeah, it's pretty dry. Uh, but the letters were sent out in September uh, 16th, 2020, as well as December 1st, 2020. So prior to this new rule being implemented. So obviously at some point prior to this, maybe six months prior, WADA decided that starting January 1st, 2021, all member sport organizations that national federations will not be allowed to run their own doping program. They must be run through WADA. Mm -hmm. They must essentially be a third-party WADA-approved drug testing agency. Right. Um, February 15th. This third party is really where the impetus on all this is really where the argument's going to begin, is when when the... IPF really pushes the third party and no longer allowing really anyone within the or- the USAPL organization or any national organization uh, to assist with any uh, drug testing. Uh, as kind of an aside, um, on February 15th, 2021, the USAPL had a press release that said the USAPL is taking the IPF to the Court of for Arbitration for Sport. Mm-hmm. Um, challenging the IPF's decision not to recognize world records set at the 2020 Arnold Classic, which was kind of controversial at the time. Uh, I don't think those ever will be or were. I don't um, think they were. If anybody would like to correct record, they can. But at one point, the USAPL requested being taken to a court of arbitration. Later, they would not. Mm-hmm. Uh, on uh, March 24th, 2021, there was an extraordinary general e- assembly. Extraordinary. An extraordinary General Assembly meeting of the IPF Congress. 
um, new constitution and bylaws were approved. Mm -hmm. The IPF vice president, and I'm sorry, I, I, I could have really done research and found his name, but it wasn't readily apparent. But it doesn't matter for the for purpose of the story. The IPF VP rewrote these new, the new constitution or parts of the constitution and bylaws along with IPF General Secretary Robert Keller. So, yes, Robert Keller, who, <laughs> if you'd like to go back to ep- episode 62, uh, was a USPF. Uh, I believe the same position, maybe general secretary or vice president. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember off the top. He, of he was not the president. I know that much, but he, he was definitely at the president. Definitely an officer. He might. Yeah, he was. He was on the executive board. Um, and Robert Keller, through many years, and it'd be interesting to hear this story, went from being with the USPF and eventually did get associated with the USAPL. Became after the, being physically removed from right, the meeting, right? <laughs> and, and the back, back in '97, he was told he had to leave the meeting. Yes. Um, he had to leave the IPF General Assembly, in which the USPF was kicked out of the IPF. Mm-hmm. Robert Keller became the USAPL Florida State Chairman. Um, I believe he was at one point the North American Powerlifting Federation Chairman. He was running meets in Puerto Rico, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not 100% sure of this, but I believe I remember hearing that he actually splits time between Florida and Puerto Rico. Um, don't quote me on that, but I believe that's the case. Yes. Uh, the new constitution and bylaws, among other things, say that the USAPL and the USAPL claim this, and I think it's it's supported by what I read, is that it basically makes it so that all IPF affiliate countries must adhere to all IPF rules and regulations at all levels, including adhering to WADA protocols, which call for all third-party drug testing. From the local level all the way up to No drug testing is to be done by national organizations mm-hmm. at all. It's all to be done and directed, I guess, by the, by the international body, and, but conducted by a third-party testing organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was other, you know, the USAPL had a, a social media post that said, hey, you know, we won't at local meets be able to let you use, you know, non-approved gear, which I think sometimes they're benevolent on. Um, they wouldn't be able to have some of their, like, maybe special divisions at meets. Like, they maybe wouldn't even be able to do, like, they a couldn't do the, They couldn't do the trans division. They definitely couldn't do that. But there were other smaller things, like they couldn't do their youth division, they claimed. Yeah, yeah they couldn't because, do youth, couldn't do the para. There was a, there was a couple of three others. Yeah, they perhaps couldn't. And I, I don't Whatever happened to Raw with Raps? Because there was talk that the USAPL was going to add Raw with Raps. I've never seen that implemented. So, nope. I, don't know. Maybe in the pro series. Yeah, perhaps. Um, well, R- Raw with Raps is dying. It's like equipped. I mean, I'll tell you what. You put on those Enzer ones, uh, and it's basically... Uh, raw. Yeah, that's raw. 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 Uh, let's fast forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's March 24th. This, this is right here, but mark that date down. Mm-hmm. March 24th. So January 1st, WADA protocol is supposed to be third-party testing everywhere. Seeing that this is the new protocol... The IPF changes their constitution, from what I'm told, somewhat controversially, mm-hmm. perhaps maybe not getting quorum, and we'll see that a little bit later as well. Mm-hmm. If you know, like, parliamentary procedure and that kind of thing, that is what the IPF follows. However, using pandemic rules, mm-hmm. um, they were allowed to do a lot of these over they, email or over Zoom. They superseded a lot of their normal protocols and processes. Because because of the pandemic. Because of the pandemic. Yep. Mm -hmm. May 5th, 2021, the IPF wrote to the USAPL asking if it had, quote, 
if it had continued to conduct, quote, unauthorized tests, which the IPF would basically say are any tests that are not performed by a third-party WADA-approved lab. Uh, the IPF says it received no response from the USAPL. May 17th, 2021, there was another letter sent from the IPF to the USAPL. It basically demands the USAPL seize any out-of-testing out of the NADO, the National Anti-Doping Organizations. And again, I, I assume those are WADA-approved labs. Mm -hmm. June 7th, the USAPL responds, and this was a public letter, mm -hmm. um, which was sent from Dr. Larry Maley, mm -hmm. USAPL president, to the IPF. B before he walked the doors here at 2XL. Correct. He's actually been, uh, I think he was at the old 2XL as well. I'm, I'm sure he was. I'm saying he's happy to be here a few, yeah. <laughs> a few weeks ago. Uh, he, among other things, says, quote, the USAPL never asked for permission to test, quote, at the recreational level. The USAPL is willing to implement drug testing via independent third party for, quote, elite level athletes. Um, it says that they are opposed to any TUEs for testosterone. And if you're not familiar, a TUE is a therapeutic use exemption. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you are on, say... If you're on TRT. If you're on TRT, and that's usually not approved mm -hmm. in powerlifting. It's not approved for the APF, I can tell you that. Or if you're doing full IOC drug screens that test for stimulants. Say mm -hmm. if you're on Adderall for some diagnosed medical help, help, condition. Help study. Right. And we talked about that earlier. For some diagnosed medical condition that is could be permissible with with a written and approved TUE. And the USAPL opposed so, so that for testosterone. So if I have my papers as I do what I want, that, that's fine, right? Yeah, I guess. Perfect. Uh, <clears throat> uh, they do not agree with testing via algorithm and says that many IPF countries, in fact, it, it was anywhere it was between... published. <laughs> it was anywhere between 50 and 65% of IPF countries, some of which are very small, granted, perform no drug testing. No drug testing at all. Like, Zero. They don't do any drug testing at all, and that apparently is what approved. I mean, shouldn't you have to at least drug test one person? Somebody. Like one person. Like to show you have a testing protocol, like you have to have a sample, right? <laughs> um, and the USAPL says that third-party drug testing is too cost-prohibitive to do all their tests via that methodology. And, and you better hit up A7 for that money shit. And when we get to uh, the, the, the actual meeting video, we'll go into more details. Mm -hmm. But we're going to continue going through the timeline. June 24th, 2021, USAPL press release. The USAPL awaits confirmation of IPF athlete nominations. <laughs> and by this time, the USAPL has had its nationals yep. and um, nominated athletes for IPF-level competitions of various types. Uh, one month later, July 20... Here's where, here's where it all starts this, to go this down. This is where it takes a sharp left turn. July 24th, 2021, a letter from President Gaston Parage. Gaston. Gaston. Um, he finds the USAPL 10,000 euros. It's not even real money. <laughs> suspends the USAPL for 12 months. Suspends all athletes affiliated to the USAPL for 12 months. Mm -hmm. Suspension will only be lifted if the USAPL stops doing, quote, unauthorized tests and says even if they do one test, one or more tests, mm -hmm. the suspension will be indefinite. We'll, we'll continue. And the we'll pay. The will continue until and, uh, ask Not a fine, but ask they pay another 7,500 euros for, quote, legal fees. <laughs> it referred to this doping hearing panel, which 
I couldn't find any like documentation on. I heard the USAPL reference it. I heard the IPF reference it. Uh, apparently, the hearing panel was one guy, so nice. it wasn't much of a panel, um, but it was one person, which the USAPL opposed, and they basically just rubber-stamped the IPF's decision, mm-hmm. hence why they came out on July 24th and laid out, not just saying, you know, you're, you're on probation yeah, or whatever. They, they say you're suspended and you're fined. Go fuck yourself. July 30th, 2021, the USAPL released a press release saying the USAPL has been, quote, threatened with fines and suspensions. Um, and it says that WADA, wants, WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, wants a monopoly on drug testing and wants control at all levels of drug testing, like all sports, all levels. Apparently, the WADA had even mentioned, like, pro sports and collegiate sports in the U.S. <laughs> Um, says compliance with IPF mandates would result either in bankruptcy or a reduction in 90% of its testing, um, and that the USAPL has proposed to, we'll talk more about this, a split (coughs) federation, and we'll talk more about that when we get to our video, um, and says the IPF has, quote, zero transparency on their drug testing as opposed to the USAPL that has full transparency on their drug testing. I always wondered about that. Like, do you have to sign, like, a medical, like, you do release so yep. fuck that man. and no one's ever questioned it but i mean the reason why and i'll, I'll tell you why well, the, it means hipaa shit for sure well yeah i guess if you wave it though um and when i signed up for my usapl membership i clicked a bunch of boxes that mm-hmm. talked about that the aapf God, i wait till an adam competition tester shows up to, to <laughs> yeah someone from a, I, uh, and we'll talk about how expensive these tests are i mean come on are you going to spend thousands of dollars to come drug test me i guess so for a non-competing... Well, I have a competition membership. I mean, just saying. So, uh, <laughs> you're getting me off track here. <laughs> but, you know, the USAPL, full transparency, the reason the AAPF does not release a banned lister list because we don't want to get sued because somebody shows up on a, you know, that they popped a drug test and that affecting their job, basically. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, we've talked about this. This is affecting people's livelihoods sometimes. Well, I mean... Uh, it, it, Related specifically to the USAPL, there's a pro wrestler who you probably know as Billy Gunn, Mm -hmm. who was on the New Age Outlaws, part of the Degeneration X faction. Mm -hmm. He apparently did a local USAPL meet in Florida, got drug tested, popped, and got fired from WWE for failing the drug test. Now, he was stupid to do a USAPL meet if he was on. I don't care that he's on. USBA meet in Florida, too. What the fuck? I mean, there's APF meets in Florida all over the place. Apparently, he didn't think he'd get caught, but it affected his real job, which was dumb. Um, and, and the implications of even being called for a random test is also an issue because it can I – mean, we, we've talked about this before that there are lifters that when they show up to your job for your out-of-competition test, I mean, your job immediately questions, well, well why are they here? Right. Why, do they why, have some suspicion? Yeah. Like, yeah. is there a reasonable suspicion? Like, because they, they don't know. Yeah. It, it, it's, 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 it's sus, as my son would say. Yes, very sus. Um. August 11th, 2021, a letter from Larry Maley to Judge Mark Williams, who apparently had been appointed the arbiter, Mm -hmm. and says the USAPL, quote, does not intend to participate in arbitration with the IPF, which again is interesting because they requested arbitration when it comes to the world record set at the Arnold. Mm -hmm. In this case, I guess because they opposed the doping hearing panel, mm-hmm. which, again, it was a uh, – it's not a it's panel. It's not a panel. It's a doping it's, dope it, hearing person. Yeah. If there's one person. That's not much of a panel. Yeah. Um, it says he believes no solution other than separation is possible. So this is August. I, I remember, like, reading that and going, holy shit. He basically like, said at this they're point – They're calling their bluff. He basically said at this point he doesn't believe 
based on what they've said, there is any other solution other than separation. And at this point, this split federation proposal has already been made via a private Zoom call, not in a public setting, but a private Zoom call to the IPF, and it apparently has been rejected. Hmm. Um, at this point, he reiterates that at least 40% of IPF countries never perform any drug testing. And I saw it as high as 65%. Maybe that was one individual year. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he, they, they released as part of their statement, uh, or shortly thereafter, the actual numbers from either 2020 or 2019. I, th- I think it yeah. was 2019 they used And it was data. like 40 plus percent. Yeah, it was maybe even more, and maybe that some of those countries just hadn't performed a drug test that year. Sure. But he says he hopes that 2021 athletes would still be allowed to participate internationally. Those U.S. lifters that qualified at nationals or the various nationals mm-hmm. of the USAPL hopes they would still be able to go to Worlds. And I don't really have – I didn't really go into this in this, you know, breakdown. It is re- ancillarily related, but as you maybe know or don't know – um, what a lot of those athletes ended up doing was, re- and this will be important when I go through the the actual language mm-hmm. laid out by the arbiter, but they would end up qualifying through uh, the United States Virgin Islands. USVI, yep. yep. And, and a number of them, like Amanda Lawrence, would basically qu- qualify through a, a basically separate entity. Essentially, they took they took the results from USAPL Nationals and applied them to their own. And if you still placed in you know whatever the top uh, two or three, whatever it is that gets you the invite to or the nomination to Worlds, then they just substitute you in for their people. Yep. So <coughs> the arbitration hearing, August twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. The arbiter is Judge Mark Williams from Sydney, Australia. Mm-hmm. Sydney, Australia. Um, and this was the IPF v USAPL. The USAPL sent letters, but ultimately opted not to quote formally participate because they knew it was bullshit. And this isn't this is important. Quote: No hearing was conducted. <laughs> so again, no hearing. So, so no one said shit. Basically, no hearing was conducted. All this was determined on quote papers. So literally, the judge just read all the supporting paperwork. He heard no hearings. Yep. He heard no, no arguments. He heard no arguments. No, nothing. Nothing over Zoom or anything. The arbiter basically held up all the IPF requests, allowed the IPF to find the USAPL 10,000 euros. They're never going to see that. Allowed the IPF to suspend the USAPL and its members. Despite, if you read into his decision, he did have some question over whether it was fair to suspend the members mm-hmm. based on the actions of the executive committee administration. Right. But said, quote, They are suspended, quote, for the period they are members of the USAPL. That's an important quote right there. Very, very important. Um, And he lowered, benevolently, the arbiter lowered the legal cost down to 5,000 euros. Let's go, Brandon. He saved the the USAPL 2,500 euros. Nice. And it's important, that clause of for the period they are members of the USAPL, because what Amanda Lawrence and others did was they basically renounced their USAPL membership Mm -hmm. and asked to become part of the U.S. Virgin Islands organization, which, even though it is a U.S. territory, is a wholly separate IPF affiliate. Correct. And so they all lifted for U.S. Virgin Islands at the IPF Worlds. And a lot of U.S. lifters did it that way. Uh, A significant amount. I don't know that all of them did, but a lot. Um, August 27th, 2021, the USAPL press release asserts that the USAPL is immediately suspended from the IPF for drug testing um, and was suspended for one year. 
Mm-hmm. October 1st, 2021. So let's fast forward a month. The agenda for the 2021 Extraordinary General Assembly meeting Extraordinary. was submitted. And this Extraordinary meeting occurred on November 7th, 2021. The YouTube video is on the USAPL YouTube mm-hmm. page, at least for now. Yep. It was taken on a cell phone. I'm guessing based on the background noise I heard that it was taken by Priscilla Rubrick, who is the executive director of the IPL, uh, the USAPL. Mm-hmm. There is a PowerPoint, which I would love to see, um, that's referenced. And you can kind of see in the background that Larry Malley and his associate referenced, but you can't really see it. I've been waiting. The reason we've been waiting this episode is I've been waiting for the actual minutes yeah, of this meeting so can... to be posted. I've asked. I've asked again. This, I mean, now this meeting happened literally five months ago, and maybe they're waiting for the next IPF General Assembly meeting before approving the minutes, which is fairly customary in parliamentary procedure. But at the same time, like, you know, I guess people... What is the use in holding it? I don't... I guess they need to wait to approve it. Sure, uh, sure, But sure. the next meeting is not going to be probably until the next year's worlds. Right. So it's not going to be until, like, this fall. So I opted just to watch this video, and it, it, gets, it gets, obviously, a lot of information. Not everything, it's... Some of it I'm listening to it a couple different times trying to get it. That's sort of this procedural, too. Yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah, it is. It's very procedural. The first 20 minutes is procedural. The first major motion is to remove the USAPL from the IPF. Um, uh, actually, the first person to talk is Dr. Larry Milley. Now, mm-hmm. there's a lot of supporting information in that agenda that was posted. A lot. I mean, almost all of the supporting documentation I read before there was summarized by the arbiter, by... You know, it references the doping hearing panel. It references the letters. Mm-hmm. It references um, the water ruling. All that supporting information was given to the participants in the General Assembly prior to the meeting. It's a long document. Mm-hmm. If you want to get a summarization of the IPF position, you could read that document, The basically the schedule. Um, it's not the minutes, but it's the schedule of what was to happen. And it was a foregone conclusion anyways. But Dr. Larry Maley is the first to talk for the USAPL. He gives a history um, of that and says it is ironic, which it is. That the irony is not lost on anybody. The 24 years after the USPF was removed from the IPF, due to drug testing, mm-hmm. they are now aiming to remove the USAPL. Due to drug testing. He's, yeah, due to arguments about drug testing. He says the decision has basically already been made. So Larry Maley comes at this assuming that it is a foregone conclusion. Um, but he gives a lot of interesting information. And I, I'm just giving this information as Larry Maley has given it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that he's not lying, but I don't know. I mean, I don't... I don't yeah, have, we're, we're not fact-checking this. I'm this not fact-checking. This is literally t- what Larry... Teamwork, looks up. Yeah, this is literally what Larry Maley said. So, and it, it, it at least passes the smell test, but I'm not going to say I necessarily 100% would take this to the bank. Right. But according to Larry Maley, in 2019, and he said they kind of threw out the pandemic years, that year the USAPL ran 403 events, had 23,000 members, of which some I think are are non-competing. And of those 23,000 members, 429 of them were international lifters, which made 625, quote, appearances at IPF international events, meaning that 98% of the lifters in the USAPL are, quote, recreational athletes. Mm -hmm. 1.9% 1.9% international. Of those 403 events and 23,000 members, the USAPL conducted 
over 3,000 tests. And that wow. added up to, I think they said over 18% of the lifters had been, te- or over 18% of the lifting mm-hmm. lifters at individual meets had been drug tested. And most organizations back in the 90s it says standard of a minimum of 10%. That's what the AAPF does. Right. Of those 3,000 tests, 720 were WADA, and they tested, quote, 100% of international competitors. Hmm. That seems like a lot to me, but that's what they said. That's what they claim. WADA tests, they say, average $1,300. So $1,300 for a WADA third-party drug test. A non-WADA test costs approximately $100. Part of that is that when you're doing a third-party WADA test, you're paying for the person. Right, the, the uh, sample collector. You're paying for the actual employee of yep. whatever lab the, it is. For them to go out to the middle of nowhere Wyoming and find, for find them to, yeah, for them Blaine to, Sumner. For them to go out there and drug test somebody uh, versus at a USAPL or other you know, recreational lifter meet, you know, it's the official who's maybe being paid, although mm-hmm. I've heard not much in the USAPL. Yep. Um, but they're just paying for the actual test. And then maybe they're paying, you know, the judge, they're maybe paying them a hundred bucks. So that increases the cost to maybe, but they're not only doing that test. They're judging the whole day as well. Right. Presumably. They said if they followed all water drug testing, they could only do around 0.1%. So 0.1% of the lifters as mm-hmm. opposed to 18%. And it would include no testing of quote recreational lifters, mm-hmm. which is what they say most IPF affiliates do. Um, the current level of drug testing, they got a couple quotes on this. They said it would cost anywhere between $1.3 to $3 million. Which, why would you not negotiate that? It makes maybe, no sense to me. I don't know, but that's what they said. Yep. Um, it, says, it says, Larry Maley kind of goes off on a diatribe saying, if you remove the USAPL, it's going to go back to what it was like with the USPF as the US affiliate. Says that the USPF dominated the IPF from 1991 to 1996. And some might surmise that's one of the reasons why they were removed in 1997. Mm, Maybe Maybe the IPF didn't like getting beat by the uh, U.S. lifters. Offers to drug test all international competitors and offers a uh, a split of the USAPL into a recreational organization and an elite-level lifter organization. Mm -hmm. He then hands off to Dan Bedrove, it was it was very hard to hear names because there wasn't like they didn't like say their names clearly mm-hmm. and they just kind of started talking like assumed everyone knew who they were. Yep. So I I didn't get a lot of names, but and, and also probably assumed that this is all for now. They're just going through the motion. Yeah, I guess they assumed everybody knew each other. But Dan from the USAPL, who said you know he gave a brief introduction, said he'd been involved in USAPL for twenty plus years. He said he'd even run or been part of running. IPF World Meets. And so he said he's he's an experienced person. Oh, so he's the guy who hired those shitty spotters back in 2016. Uh, I don't believe so. <laughs> but could be. Um, know. He said that they had given the framework of a proposal to split the USAPL into two organizations, an elite-level fe- elite federation for all the international competitors, which would be the USAPL and the IPF affiliate, and a recreational federation said they actually had incorporated. They didn't say what the name was, but they had incorporated a wholly separate organization ready to go um, for the quote recreational lifters. Mm -hmm. He said this model is similar to that of Olympic basketball, where uh, the NBA WNBA players transfer over to USA basketball. Mm -hmm. It's similar to track and field where NCAA lifters 
uh, NCAA, excuse me, uh, athletes would then go into USA Track and Field. Mm-hmm. Hockey, where even the IOC sought out their participation and asked them to basically edit their or change around their season to allow international competitors to go to the Olympics and said in all those cases and in the case of a retired athlete who comes back to the sport, they require six months of testing prior to the competition and says the elite level USAPL, the elite level lifters would be available for drug testing up to six months prior to the meet. And that would be a wholly separate organization and we'll call it USAPL recreational or you know, uh, maybe they ch- maybe they go back and use the old name ADFPA, and the ADFPA lifters are the quote recreational lifters that would fall under their own drug testing, and mm-hmm. only the USAPL lifters would fall under WADA third party drug testing. Right. Larry Maley then talks again and says that they have a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar drug testing budget, and that national meets already are only third party WADA drug testing, as well as all out of meat tests. I guess that wasn't the case when Rebecca Roberts got uh, <laughs> got uh, got drug tested or or supposed to have been drug tested at APF Senior Nationals. Yeah, or maybe it was APF Teen Junior Nationals. It doesn't matter. Um, and even says that WADA are positive tests that are uh, in non WADA labs. Yeah, that are in non WADA labs. WADA labs for additional verification. Yeah. So when they're sent a positive test from a non WADA lab. They then send it for additional verification to a WADA lab. Be simple. And also requests that there are no TUE for testosterone, says that they should at least have some input into drug testing, saying in some cases American records in the USAPL will exceed world records in the IPF. That, you know, you can make the argument that that's maybe also high level of competition, high mm-hmm. level of uh, judging. Says that, you know, if things look suspicious, uh, this is a quote, things that look suspicious or this guy looks funny. Unquote. Which, I mean, you got a guy whose skin is purple? Yeah, I guess you question that. They said they should at least be able to not say you can or can't drug test him, but recommend it to the third party. Re- reasonable suspicion. Right. Say, we, we recommend you drug test this individual. Yes. Um, he, also, uh, he also said they would like to be notified of the results afterward, which I guess the third party currently will not do. Hmm. Um, and says that it is ironic that the USAPL has been suspended without a doping failure. That is one of the big things to me is like... Without it, like... Uh, because other other countries had been basically like put on probation right. for too many doping failures, and that's not... Th- this went zero to 100. Yeah. And says, do you want a clean United States or a dirty one? That's a powerful statement. Uh, after that, President Paraj comes up, and he was not happy. Um, he says the only issue at hand is that all testing has to be done by WADA approved labs and says, he's not saying the USAPL is doing whatever he wants, but based on their system of Mm -hmm. doing their own drug testing, the USAPL president chairman could do what he wants. And this does bring up the issue, uh, and says all drug testing should be independent. This does bring up the issue of doing your own drug testing. Now, you could say that you're doing a really good job, and you could say that you're being totally unbiased. But when you have all the power to control who gets drug tested, it does lend itself to a good old boy system where 
you could say, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll drug test this guy, this guy, this guy. Or, eh, we're probably not going to drug test that guy. Yeah. That Or, hey, there's an out-of-competition test not coming your way. Yeah, you really should be ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's the thing. I don't think he's even saying the USAPL is doing that. He's just saying that when testing is not done by a third party, it lends itself to that situation, which is a position I do understand. I, I can appreciate that. He basically brushes off the examples of the NBA and others and basically says, like, you know, that's a professional organization. And it's not totally analogous because, like, you're basically talking about the reverse with the USAPL. Because mm-hmm. in the, the case of the NBA, that's the top-level people. And then a select few of those are going to the Olympics. Right. Versus in this case, you've got basically everybody in the recreational USAPL, the ADFPA wing of the organization. Right going under their own testing, and then when they become international, then they fall under WADA drug testing. Right. Um, then the IPF lawyer comes on, <laughs> who is an interesting individual. Who you can he, assume is a complete douchebag. Uh, I mean, his his name, I guess, is Mr. Ross. I'm not sure if Ross is his first name or his last name. He kind of gave an introduction, but none of the – like, uh, Dr. Larry Maley, of all these people, I will say, was basically the best order. Mm-hmm. Like he he present like whether you agree with his case or not, he presented his case very clearly, very concisely. He said who he was. He said who he represented. The rest of people just started talking. Um, so the lawyer from the IPF, Mr. Ross, mm-hmm. he said he works for a Swiss firm and works for various other Olympic sports and WADA associated stuff. Um, he says the fundamental issue is the new WADA code, and that under the new WADA code, national federations of WADA-associated international sport organizations can no longer conduct their own drug testing. The USAPL has continued doing their own testing after January 1st, 2021. Um, He does say that the system of the NBA and the NCAA is fairly unique to the USA. I'm not sure he's right on that. I'm not sure either because uh, the individual from the USAPL, Dan, who I I can't, Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what his last name is. He brought up a couple examples of other or other countries that follow a similar system to that so i'm not sure that he's right there Mm -hmm. um but he did say that failure to comply with wada rules could affect things like the world games could affect their ability to get ioc recognized which might be a pipe train anyway um says it could affect their ability to continue to be compliant with wada regulations Mm -hmm. um and he lays that out in very long length like like 45 minutes. Very lawyery. Yeah. I mean, a lot of repeating of what he says. Yep. From there, and basically, you know, the USAPL had about 30 minutes. The IPF, through their president and lawyer, mostly their lawyer, the president talked for a very short amount of time compared to the lawyer. Um, then goes to a, a Q&A. And the first of the Q&A was Dan from the USAPL was back. And he brings back up this Olympic model of two separate organizations the lawyer keeps bringing up that the NBA and NCAA and other organizations aren't, quote, member federations of a WADA international body. And he says uh, that he has not seen any formal proposal Mm -hmm. splitting the USAPL into two separate entities. Um, I guess USAPL just could have done it and said, like, our member list is only 400 now. Right. It would have been a little iffy that because, like, if they're associated, are they still the same organization? Like, but nonetheless, that's... I mean, the NBA is an associated organization to USA Basketball. Like, we know that. 
They are, but it's more like they're not a member, but they're associated. Yeah, they're associated, but it's more like they allow themselves, they allow their players to be associated with USA Basketball. Their because, players, their coaches, their officials, like I mean, all that goes through there. I think because they just think it's good for business. It, it is. I'm not saying it's not. And it wasn't that case until obviously the Dream Team in 1992. Mm-hmm. Um. So you know, the lawyer, and this is a fundamental issue, and I think this the, is this is the biggest one to me. I, I think one of the issues it's it's an it's a divide of Europe versus the USA, because the lawyer seems very concerned that the IPF will not have control over quote a vast majority of powerlifting within the United States. You don't anyway, fuckers. You don't, and I don't think they really understand how the system, like the, the governmental structure of sport, works within the USA. Mm, it's very and, different. It is. I mean, we've talked about this in past episodes. In France, the WPC affiliate has been kind of like told they're not allowed to run international events. And this is France. Mm-hmm. This is like uh, when you think about the the governmental system in the United States, like our our founding is from obviously, uh, you know, English common law. But I mean, you know, wasps come from France and England, right? Yes. Like Anglo-Saxon, like that's Northern European. That's basically like... Democracy was invented in France. (laughs) Right. And so we're not talking about like a third world country here. We're talking about France. And still in France... They can't fight, but fuck, they know how to govern. I mean, in France, the government is basically telling the WPC affiliate, you're not allowed to run international powerlifting. And... there's more to this story. I'd, be, I'd love to have somebody from WPC France on to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But the main premise is that in a lot of countries, if the sport is not conducted under the IPF or the IPF affiliate, they're not allowed to operate. Yeah. Let's go back to 2001 WPC Worlds, where apparently the government came in to drug test everybody. And everyone w- ran out. The U.S. lifters ran out of the ballroom. Powerlifting under the WPC banner was was prohibited in South Africa for a period of about 15 years afterwards. Mm -hmm. It was only in 2018 I saw some of those individuals back at WPC Worlds. Mm -hmm. The way that sports are organized in other countries is fundamentally different. It's a quasi-government entity. Now, Mm -hmm. it kind of is when related to Olympic sports in the U.S. The difference is because we actually adhere to free market principles generally— other people are also allowed to organize sports. Like it doesn't have to always fall under the U.S. Olympic model, and because we always have seen it as recreation, not as a f- as a function of government and a part of the education system, and potentially as a part of the glory for the country. Not only that, but let's go back to the lawsuit with the AAU, because at that point, really, all sports were organized under the yep, AAU. Correct. And the antitrust laws in the I, in the in the USA prohibit. It's not that they don't encourage or allow it. It's they prohibit single organizations from controlling, monopolizing a sport or an activity or a business. So in the United States, it's just so fundamentally different. I don't think the Europeans, of which the IPF is probably vastly controlled by, and much more used to. They don't understand how powerlifting in the USA works. No. And they never put on a bet shirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I the, digress. We digress. The Brazil rep comes up and says, you know, are there other sports where this type of split has happened? Uh, the lawyer, Dr. Ross, says not that he knows of. Mm-hmm. 
Um, although, again, uh, Dan from the SAPL would point to other sports in other countries, he says, mm-hmm. that have a similar model. Then, I mean, they have it, it. Let's go back to the sport no one cares about. They already have it in that, too. They've got Sunday rec leagues. I mean, you look, you look at how the British football system is set up. There are hundreds of clubs. England is not a – in the U.K., they're not a large area. No. I mean, England in the grand scheme is very small and as far as land mass. hundreds of clubs throughout right. England. Right. And, again, something all the way down to your, your Sunday league, all the way up to the, the premiership. There is absolutely a separation, and they had that separation, and that's why they had the FA Cup, where literally every country, or every, every club, I'm sorry, in the country is allowed to participate in the FA Cup. But you cannot all participate in the Premiership because you have to have the requisite facilities, all the other things that go into being a Premiership club, as well as the finances around it. Right. I mean, it, like, does so, the so I- absolutely it's there, so people are, are turning the blind eye to it. Does the IPF think that, like, if you lift a weight, it should be, like, under the IPF's control? Like, if I go squat bed, settle up at a gym, is that powerlifting? Do I need to get the IPF? Do I need IPF approved equipment? I mean, they're saying to that squat they are, a barbell. They're basically saying they want to have control over the vast majority of powerlifting within the U.S., which they don't. And they will never. Okay. Let's, let's just look at it from a 10,000 foot view. Let's mm-hmm. think about basketball, which we've already established. The NBA is not. A an IOC organization. They're not a they're not a USOC organization. No. But let's let's even shrink it down even more. Does does the uh, USOC control church league basketball? Do they control high school basketball? Do they control NCAA basketball? No. Do they control rec leagues at the local YMCA for adults? I mean. Think about the same level, okay? Like I love powerlifting. You love powerlifting. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of powerlifters are more analogous to the dude playing in a Sunday rec league, Sunday league in a Sunday rec league at the local YMCA than it is the Olympics. Absolutely. Like, does USA and enjoy bas- put and enjoy putting your state record in your Instagram profile? Does the US does USA basketball control the the local like LA Fitness Rec League on a Sunday morning? You you don't have LeBron James making arguments around the YMCA you know championship on a on a Wednesday evening. He doesn't care. He doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> Not only does he didn't care, he'd never even known it would no, happen. No, doesn't know that that happens out in New York. There Elgin, are literally Illinois. like every thousands week, of every games. weekend. There are thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that play basketball, softball, even though nobody cares about it. Soccer. Soccer. I, I mean, just in the USA. Tennis. Tennis. Fucking badminton. I, I mean, any any sports you can think about. <laughs> there are recreational athletes that are playing those sports. And think about, like, not just the open level lifters. Think about the master's lifters, okay? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're a 50-year-old dude, you're not making it. There's no master's Olympics. No. Now, maybe there's an equivalent. But, like, you're not, as a 50-year-old dude, going to go to the Olympics even if powerlifting was in it. Well, if you're David Ricks, you will. Uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> even if you go to the IPF Worlds, you're not going to the Olympics. No. So wh- why should we be treating them as a recre- at the recreational master's lifter, who's a high-level lifter? Are they the same as the Olympic-level lifter, the, the Blaine Summoners? Like, <laughs> No. <clears throat> but but that, that, that's the, the pipe dream, right? Is like We so desperately seem to want, and I say we like it's powerlifting, so many people seem to want this affiliation and eventually to have power lifting in the Olympics. I mean, the IOC has been pretty clear. You will never be an Olympic sport. 
There's too much corruption, which, haha, and there's too much drug use. Because powerlifting is the one sport that's been pretty fucking open about it. Anyway. So that's the Brazilian reps. The Netherlands rep comes in and questions about the six months of testing mm-hmm. and says, you know, basically on this whole split organization, if the USAPL is allowed to do it, is everyone else allowed to do it? Um, and Dr. Larry Maley says basically like, the IPF can drug test all of their international lifters. You can drug test 100% of them Mm -hmm. and says, you know, fine, drug test them six months before all our international lifters and says that 50% of the IPF nations, this percentage keeps getting changed, but he says at least 50% of (laughs) IPF nations don't do any drug testing. Not wrong. The Norway rep asks, has there been a formal split proposal submitted? Mm -hmm. The USAPL claims they had, and I believe them actually, they, they claim they had an informal meeting in July with the IPF executive committee. And they pre- presented a scope of how to do the, the, the split federation, but they wanted to get the IPF's feedback. Like before we take all this time to come up with a super specific formal proposal, like let's get it. Like, is this something you would accept in any form? Right. And like, are, are we directionally aligned on this? Like, and if so, like what details would you require? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and basically, like, they wanted to get the IPF's thoughts. And at this point, uh, the lawyer, Mr. Ross, and Dr. Larry Milley start, like, literally, like, yelling at each other. Perfect. And saying, like, at one point, Larry Milley says, what part of what we said did you not hear? Is your hearing impaired? <laughs> <laughs> and he got a little... Little, a little testy. Got a little chippy. Yep. And then, then the president comes up, and basically, he's really angry now. And says, stop all this arguing. He repeats the same thing, that he doesn't like the split federation model because they want control over everybody. Mm-hmm. And says, if they allow the IPF or they allow the USAPL to do it, then other federations can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Which they can. Uh, which they could. And which, yeah, I guess you can the make fuck, the argument. What's the fucking problem? Other sports do as well. The vice president of the IPF, and he is... He is really chippy mm-hmm. and says, basically, most of what has been said today has literally nothing to do with the motion. Hmm. He says that everything has to do with the new WADA code and that all this other stuff is just basically, it, it, it's, it, it's extraneous. We shouldn't be discussing it. Is angry that we are discussing it. Nice. Um, the rep from Italy comes up and he says he's friendly with Dr. Maley. He's been friends with the USAPL. But he asked, like, what are the risks if we accept this USAPL, quote, proposal? And, again, it's reiterated that no formal proposal has been submitted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the lawyer, Mr. Ross, says, with all seriousness, says the risk is existential. Again, he wasn't being so, smart-ass. Somebody got his water day calendar out. He said the risk to powerlifting is existential if the USAPL is allowed to do a split federation model. Could he have been more hyperbolic? Just what the fuck, man. And again, he y- thinks... Y- very lawyery. He thinks that the IPF should control the entire sport. The uh, VP comes up again and says, if it's accepted, we could be kicked out of the World Games. Oh, and no. and this, is, this is something I thought was very interesting and very important. If this was accepted that some IPF affiliate countries would lose their government funding in many countries. Follow the rich white man. Hmm. And they would lose their compliance with WADA. Mm-hmm. So the vote, it finally goes to a vote after a lot of arguing at the end and a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, the vote goes, uh, 
27 total votes, 23 vote in favor. And there was maybe one or two abstentions, I think including the USAPL, and a couple votes against. And our uh, buddy, Mr. Robert Keller, tabulated the vote. Mm -hmm. Now, of interest, on that same day, they probably had this press release hot and ready to go. It was right at the rip. So the USAPL had a press release that got released that same day, November 7th, 2021. Mm -hmm. They said they go international after removal from the IPF. Yes, USAPL Australia. Makes sense. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> they claim, and they said 28 countries were present. So maybe there was only the USAPL that abstained from voting. Right. Um, only 28 countries were present out of 150 countries. So my question is, and I don't know, I know this depends on, you know, Robert's rules of, of parliamentary procedure. Yep. Like, how could you claim quorum with 28 out of 150? I mean, you've got. Uh, 20% of your member countries there. So I and I don't know why like they couldn't use pandemic rules and have the other 100 yeah. plus in have voting laptops set up around and fucking Yeah, because they had the the lawyer and a couple others were on a screen. The lawyer specifically was not there. Many of the members were. Larry Melly was there. Mm-hmm. Dan from the USAPL was there. I think Priscilla Rubrick was there. You heard her talking. It's her cell phone. Uh the president of the IPF is there. The vice president is there. There was a guy. Pers- so you could you could make all this work like it wasn't impossible. But the lawyer was not. Mister Ross was not yeah. there. He was on Zoom. That's what I'm saying. Is you you could make this all work. So but I, then, I, on the, then on November 9th, on November 9th, the IPF announces that Powerlifting America, led by new Powerlifting America president Robert Keller, is the new U.S. affiliate. <laughs> the circle is complete. I love democracy. <laughs> And so <laughs> democracy reigned supreme. And that's how the USAPL died in international competition to thunderous applause. <laughs> oh, if you've never watched the, uh, the Star Wars prequels, and I know I've, I've talked to people recently who really like vehemently hate Star Wars. Well, they can go fuck themselves. Uh, which is what I said. Uh, but go back and watch especially like episode two and three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, now, of note, that, that same press release on November 7th, the USAPL announced their Pro Series, which mm-hmm. we've talked about, yeah. with a prize pool of 235000 Um And I assume a lot of that drug testing budget went towards that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I do question, like, uh, I, I do have some thoughts on the merits of the case on both sides, but I, I, I question how you can claim to have quorum. And if you're not familiar with parliamentary procedure, like, Let's say you have an executive board and there's nine members. Like, I think it's typically over 50% of the members. It depends on the rules Correct. of the board. But, like, if there's, say, a nine-member executive board, like, three members can't just call a meeting and, and make a vote. It, correct. And, oh, it, three, three zero passed 100%. You know, right. You need, can't a, I think, that. usually, like, let's say you need two-thirds. Yeah. Over 50% of the members there to call quorum. And this is true, like, in Congress. Like, you can't call a vote without people there. In fact, you know, that's a big thing when you talk about the filibuster yep. in, in the Senate. But, like, you need a certain amount of the voting members to be there. So of the voting members, 28 out of 150 were there, and they voted to remove the USAPL. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, final thoughts, Mr. Bain? And we're not going to go in too much to the Powerlifting America thing. Like, that could be another episode if that, we'd like. That's, uh, yeah. Because, I mean, by the way, somebody sent us that... Before November 7th, certainly, mm-hmm. Powerlifting America had already been it already incorporated. Been, it's already a thing. 
It was so already a thing. It was. Re- it's not like the USA. Uh, it's not like the IPF was like, "Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't have a US affiliate. Who's going to fill the role? Oh, we have this general secretary. I know what I can do. Who used to be uh, the USAPL Florida State Chair? Who used to be associated with the North American Powerlifting Federation? And also used to be associated with the USPF, who we booted out twenty years ago. Yes, and he starts his own organization, Powerlifting America. As one does, they don't agree with something. <laughs> Just what we need in the U.S., another powerlifting federation. So so I, I hear both sides of this where the IPF wanted uniformity in their drug testing, which oh, they say, okay, cool. Like We have uniformity through WADA. We want a third party, and that's it. The USAPL basically said, we don't feel that that is sufficient. We want additional drug testing because we truly want to deter people from Taking performance answers and and more power to them. I like that. Like they they live by that mission, and I and I applaud them for that. And they they basically they could not come to any kind of agreement. I do believe that the something was said and and done behind closed doors with Wada to make those very small verbal adjustments or verbiage adjustments to say you could no longer have national organizations run your. Uh, your drug testing and still be WADA compliant. Uh, but to be fair, WADA is not just over IPF. Like it's over all Correct. sport organizations. Correct. And I think this is. I, but because WADA is also a European organization, the IPF is a European organization, I fully believe that there was a little bit of backdooring. It could be, but I think in general, like I, I think Larry Milley's right. I think WADA wants a monopoly on drug testing. Mm-hmm. And I think absolute power is going to corrupt absolutely. 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 And so if it's, hey, you have to use our drug testing protocol, and oh, by the way, all of our buddies run these drug testing labs that are approved. Like, Seems pretty Russian to me. It's one thing if like, hey, they have to be WADA approved, and there's a, there's a wide variety of, of WADA approved labs. And you mm-hmm. can choose from almost any of them. And the cost is higher, but it's not super cost prohibitive. I think when you break it down, it comes to that. Like, I think the USAPL obviously wanted some input on the testing. Yeah. But I think if the cost had been... I mean, we've been pretty big on this throughout our whole history as a nation. We just want to be represented in the process. Well, let's say that they said you have to do wadded drug testing. And let's say wadded drug testing was $200. Mm-hmm. Maybe $250 a test as opposed to thirteen to two, $1,300 to $2,000 per yeah. test. And I just, I'm sorry, you're a shitty negotiator if you if you can't bring that down But a to bit. be fair, if there's only a few WADA-approved labs in the U.S. I get it. They basically said, well, F you. But yeah. at the same token, if you're the WADA lab, and like even if there's more than one, and they were like, hey, could you get it down to like $500 a yeah, test? something. Like how much is it? We're doing act- three thousand tests a year. I mean, come on, that's a lot of business. Like that's like enough where you could hire new employees for your Correct. lab. Correct. You can have dedicated people to the USAPL pool, and it's not that expensive to do urinalysis. It really it's is not. not. It's, it is I mean, not. clearly because in the AAPF it's way less. The well, USAPL doesn't. We're, we're not keeping B samples for twenty years. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, we aren't. And neither are they. Don't get it fucking twisted. You're yeah. only doing it when it's Lance Armstrong, and you're pretty fucking sure he's cheating. And uh, it's not, even for USAPL, it's a hundred bucks. I mean, it's not that expensive. Like, no, it's not. It's, it, this really comes down to you have two organizations that said, fuck you, I'm going to call your bluff. That's, that's all this is. This is just international dick measuring, and both of you fucking lost. Here's the thing. The USAPL wanted their cake, and they wanted to eat it too. Yeah. They wanted IPF affiliation. 
they've wanted international opportunities because that helps their business because that gives them credibility in the eyes and the marketplace and lifters because that matters here internationally does not matter right uh they wanted those international opportunities they wanted the ipf affiliation because it helped them become the biggest powerlifting organization in the united states Mm -hmm. and they've done a good job of building the grassroots of their organization through things like collegiate nationals, high school nationals, all the way back through the 80s. Mm-hmm. But they were they were said they had to go kiss the ring, mm-hmm. and they didn't want to. If Which I appreciate. Uh, I do, but if you want that IPF affiliation, you have to. You, you have to find a way. Mm-hmm. You have to have found a way to say, how can we do this? And maybe they just said, you do this or it's nothing. Yeah. And uh, like you... I can appreciate the fact that the USAPL wanted to stick to the minimum at least 10% drug testing mm-hmm. and drug testing recreational lifters. Yep. If the IPF wanted the USAPL to remain, they could have found a way. Exactly. And the IPF didn't want to. That's what I'm saying. It's just international dick measuring. That's all this is. And it, again, I, I can't remember the post, but we posted it when the incorporation of Powerlifting America came to be. It mm-hmm. was, I think, at least six months prior to this uh, minimum three, and I think probably closer to six. Yeah, I think it was around the time of March when they when they passed these new constitutional mm-hmm. uh, bylaw changes that dictated that no drug testing could occur outside of WADA-approved third-party labs. Right. I think at that time, Robert Keller and Associates, they knew it was the fix was in. Yeah, the USAPL was. They'd already known from previous communications the USAPL is not going to comply. And he wanted in his back pocket having this new organization already incorporated, plans ready. It, it, it didn't just on November 8th. He wasn't like, oh, hey, I guess we could start a new U.S. affiliate. Nope, he was planning this for years. Um, the WADA rule to me screams. It screams corruption. Just I mean, it's pure corruption in the, drug, in the drug testing world. You can't convince me that it costs... 1300 No, I want every business to make money. And I know that when you have to send somebody out to do a drug test, it's going to cost more money than if you have somebody sure. who's already there do it. But especially when you're talking about the USAPL, if they come out to like a bigger meet, I mean, it should be at least be a tiered model. If I come out to do one test, it's X. If I come out to do five tests, it's the Y. Co- the cost could be lower per test because there's economies of scale your, of that person your coming cost out to doing serve the test. is less, period. Right, your 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 fixed cost remains the same whether you're going out to do one test or ten tests. For the most part, it, it just screams corruption with WADA. Absolutely um, does. On the same token, doing your own drug testing leads to some of the same type of corruption. And one of the criticisms, fair or unfair, that has been lobbied against the USAPL, and I'm not saying this is true or untrue. But a common criticism I've heard whispered through the years is that the chosen few do not get drug tested. Speaking of kissing the ring. And that the favored individuals do not get drug tested. And they always pick a few that they don't particularly like that yep. do get drug or who, tested. Or who they give them a chance to bend the knee and they choose not to. And then amazingly, they get popped. And there's a couple of individuals who we've heard in our interview with Rebecca Roberts mm-hmm. and others that have, at least in the past, that has been true. And we've we've and had so, people slide in our DMs, and they and again not going to name names, not going to say where, but have reiterated, reiterated the same this. the yep. same concept, same, same thing. 
whether that's true or untrue, we don't know. That is rumor and innuendo. But I do appreciate the point of the IPF EC executive committee and that having control of your own drug testing does lend itself to corruption in and of itself. The, the possibility is there. Absolutely. How hard would it be for Larry Maley to just, you know, you're the president, and I'm not saying Larry Maley does this, but mm-hmm. uh, they're pulling drug tests for meat and be like, uh, you know what? You don't need to You don't need to drug She's test fine. them. You don't need to drug test them. Yep. I'm not saying he does it, but he could, certainly. Correct. Uh, the IPF and their lawyer, they have a fundamental misunderstanding of how powerlifting in the USA and sport in general works. Absolutely. They want control of everything powerlifting. Hence the rules banning other federation, competing in other federations' worlds, mm-hmm. as well as competing with band lifters, mm-hmm. as well as having the website powerlifting.sport. The IPF believes they are powerlifting, and they could, should control all powerlifting. Correct. And, and this, is, this is a fundamental difference that we have in Europe and the United States. Like I, I, when, when the concept of this free market at, at all levels is brought to them, like, listen, like, we can start a federation tomorrow. We can start the Eric Stone Federation, and I can say I don't like it because, you know, you guys use uh, red red monoliths. So fuck it, we're doing the Robert Bain Power Federation now. <laughs> now we're gonna have, we're gonna have slightly less neon green and the neon yellow plates. Oh, and uh, carpet that has been taken out of your mom's bedroom. No pre-peed carpet. Yikes! You know, and here's the thing: when you're talking about recreational lifters, it's really not that dissimilar for any sport, and, and like. Again, at what level do you legislate sport? Like every level of competition? Like if a couple kids go out and kick a soccer ball around, like does that need to be legislated? I'm red carding them both. Fuck them kids. Does that need to be legislated by the international, you know, (laughs) FIFA is going to come in and. I mean, just come on. Like if we play a three on three, you know, do you remember, did Gus Macker ever come around to your, Mm. your do you play basketball at all? A little bit. Yeah. So there was a big three on three tournament that would travel around. It was called Gus Macker. I played it one year and it was Uh, a, there, it wasn't Gus Macker, but there was always one in Cedar Rapids. I I know there's a three on three basketball. They take over a parking lot and they've got like 40 hoops and right. Does that need to be, you know, legislated by the USA basketball? Like, Oh, at what? Oh, well that's three on three. We only allow five on five. Yes. Like, you know, Sorry, this this one's won by and one. It's totally different. Like, what if it's a what if it's a strongman meet that uses a deadlift and a squat and some kind of bench variation? Yeah. Like, doesn't allow hitches. Oh my god! It, in the end, both sides were hurt. Both mm-hmm. sides will be hurt. Absolutely, the IPF will lose a lot of talented lifters, and the USAPL is going to get hurt by some of their international lifters jumping to powerlifting America. And they already have. Hence why they immediately, they already had it ready to go. They immediately came out with their pro series because they wanted, hey, you don't have the carrot of international affiliation anymore, but you have the carrot of cash. And how long that lasts, we will see. Um, And and it's interesting to go back, and I read a lot of things on this. I watched this entire meeting twice. It's interesting to go back and look at these letters back and forth, look at these press releases, look at these internet posts, look at these Instagram charts that USAPL posted. You, you literally have international federations Instagramming each other. Like Instagram right, like arguing shit. over Instagram. Yes. And Fucking great. Like back and forth. At the end of the day, this decision was well known by both sides well in advance. Yep. And they Larry, both made their plans. Larry Melly knew. He knew the cabal was in. The IPFEC, they, they knew they had the votes. Yep. They had the votes. There was back chatter talk. 
They already they knew back channeled everything. They already knew that their their general secretary was from the United States, and he had a plan. And he had a plan in place, and he said, "I will, I will adhere to all IPF regulations at all levels I of every meets of every meets, and it will be we would call it Powerlifting America, and it will be the new U.S. affiliate." I love democracy. Well, that's the story, Mr. Bain, of the USAPL being removed as the U.S. affiliate from the IPF. Yes. Yes, it was. It and is quite a story. Um, there may still be some follow-up to it. There may. We'll see. I would. I, hey, if anybody from any, either organization would like to come on and tell their story and, and correct the record, if I've said something wrong, I've read a lot of documentation, and a mm-hmm. lot of this is me boiling down and, yeah. us, and us just you know, and, trying and lo- to, looking through our lens. Right, looking through the lens of our, how we see powerlifting, and if we're wrong, if anybody from the USAPL are, are powerlifting America, I will give you, Bain will give you the floor. You can talk for as long as you want. Yep. We'll ask a couple prompting questions, just give some, some background, tell your tale, and hey, I'll throw it out there, anybody from the IPF that wants to come on. <laughs> let's do, fuck it, let's do it. Uh, yeah. if, if, we, if somebody from the IPF wants to come on, USAPL, powerlifting America, Come on and plead your case. And, he, and here's why I say that. There's there's other podcasts, other other broadcasts out there that, you know, are covering similar topics. This has been covered before. We just kind of itemized it in our way. And, and kind of we wanted to see how it played out, too. But let's let's have the people that were involved. If you were at that General Assembly, fuck it. Come on. Mr. Yeah. Ross, you want to come on and talk lawyer shit? Let's fucking do it. <laughs> that is very doubtful. <laughs> um, but it's... It, it, if you fail to understand history, you are doomed to de- repeat it. You are destined to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I referenced our episode 62 mm-hmm. when the USAPL became the US affiliate. You, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Yep. And there was, I guarantee you, I don't know this for sure. We talked about it in the episode. There was back channel talk that occurred back then. Absolutely, there was. Was it about drug testing back then? Yes. Was it about more than drug testing? Absolutely, yes. it was. Was this one about drug testing? Yes. Sure. Was it about more than drug testing? Absolutely. In both cases, and, and when people talk about what are when there's politics, what are politics? Politics are individual relationships between people, or perhaps lack thereof, yes. individual relationships. It's about relationships dissolving or having never been there in the first place. People that don't like other people. Yes. Like when you talk about, oh, there's so many politics at work. No, it's well, people don't fucking like each other. People don't like each other. They talk shit about each They gossip mm-hmm. about each other to their bosses, to their coworkers, and they say things that are maybe true or untrue, and sometimes that affects people's livelihoods or jobs. In yep. this case, I guarantee there's back-channel talk. I guarantee there was relationships that were frayed. I think it's very clear that Dr. Larry Maley and Mr. Robert Keller – probably don't get along too well. Probably not. I would say that's a pretty easy uh, assumption I could make based on the evidence put in front of me. And, and I but could, hey, I, if either one wants to come on, come through. I will Just say like, again, Dr. Larry Maley provided the most concise case of anybody in that General Assembly meeting. the most compelling to me. And I have to say, I can't wholly disagree with what they said. And I, I understand why... The U.S. Why the IPF wants control over everything? I, I, I would like to know. It'd be interesting to find out. Like, is there any more financial benefit to the USAPL having more members than less? Like, do they pay more money? Is their affiliation fee higher? Like, 
I, I don't know. And mm-hmm. my, my guess is probably not. I mean, uh, maybe it is. Who knows? Uh, you know, the common thought is follow the money. But, like, I would assume there's probably a standard affiliation fee with being the IPF affiliate. And I'm sure there's fees associated with going to IPF competitions. But I don't know if, like, having more members total means you pay more. Now, I know one of the things that the USAPL claimed was that now not being under the auspices of the IPF, they have all this extra money to spend on the Pro Series. My assumption, I could be wrong, is that that is mostly related to drug testing based on what has been said today. And that they can probably go to even a really good lab and pay mm-hmm. $200 for a test. Yep. That's a hell of a... That's, over $1,000 less than apparently a WADA-approved test. That is a sixth of the price. Crazy. Nuts. Well, that's all, Mr. Bain. Uh, I'm, glad we, I'm glad we got that one out of the way. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a lot of ideas for some really awesome interviews coming up. Um, you and I talked to a few people at the Pro-Am. We did. Um, I think we will have somebody on to talk about Louie. I think that's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Jackie and I had our talk about Ernie. We still will revisit that topic, but I think we need somebody close to close to Louie. And I believe we have that person. Yeah. And there, of course, could be more. Yeah. I mean, uh, oh, Louis, absolutely. Louie's just like Ernie. Louie affected a lot of lives. Um, the Anabolics book, now that I'm done reading, very, very boring. Oh, my God. IPF General Assembly meeting notes. Get I ready can, for even more boring. I can, well, it's, it's at least maybe the content no. and the context is less boring. Nope. Okay. If you enjoy <laughs> the podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us feedback on our Instagram accounts. Yeah. Drop it in our DMs. Um, check out our merch store. The link tree is in our bio. Mm-hmm. And if you buy something of our merch... Please post a picture and we will repost it. Yeah, we'll repost it. And, uh, you know, if there's the opportunity to win stuff, we'll, uh, you know, T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, all that fun stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure when we're going to drop this, hopefully before uh, Saturday the 23rd. But if you are in the Chicagoland area, please stop out to 2XL. One of the coolest events that we do every year is our autism meet. Press the pieces together for autism. We have featured lifters. Uh, we have people literally from the age of you know four or five years old all the way up to people benching a thousand pounds. Uh, really, really an incredible event. Uh, does a great job raising money for the Autism Society of America. So if you're in the Chicagoland area, please stop out. Uh, if you're not able to, you know, feel free to donate. I believe Eric's got a general donation page, and I think I should have one here fairly soon. So um, I've got one for Jacob and Alice Stone, okay. who are uh, both lifting. So if you if you'd like to donate to a page, I mean, you, there's. Plenty. Rebecca Roberts, who's a guest, has yep. a page. Barzine Vaziri. Barzine Vaziri. I think is just going to post the Jacob and Alice Stone page. Okay. So if you're interested, you can check out uh, the 2XL Facebook, Eric Stone's Facebook, the 2XL Instagram. Um, the, the link is in the bio of 2XL. Yep. Um, the link, link in the tree. bio. <laughs> yeah, the link, the link is in the bio. You can, you can go to the Jacob and Alice Stone uh, fundraising page. Mm-hmm. And in the past few years, we've la- raised tens of thousands of dollars for the Autism Society. On any given year, we've usually raised around ten thousand dollars. We have something hopefully really, really super cool that yeah. if, it, if it comes together, we'll raise another in the four figures of mm. uh, of money. Um, and, and if you haven't listened to our episode, please go back and listen to our, our powerlifting autism uh, episode. You know, it's something very near and dear to me and Eric's heart. And so we, yeah. you know, we we I look forward to this event every year. It's super cool. Yep. Anything else to add, Mr. Bain? That's it, man. With that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger.